the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. I thought I'd kick off with a slightly different angle, and again, bring up the dreaded millennials. Only because we are all, not we're not all different generations, but there's different generations amongst us. And the way they spend money reflects how the economy grows and or doesn't grow. One of the things that we know about millennials is that they don't have to own something. Now, keep in mind, millennials 18 to 35, you have a group of people that, for the better part of the last, you know, they've seen two major recessions. Um, they've seen two major stock market corrections. Now, again, we're at all-time highs, but getting those those thoughts of, you know, stock market down 30, 40, 50% is pretty tough to do. Um, I know it's millennials, and uh, you know, just watching TV shows like Girls, and I know that doesn't reflect every millennial, but sex is pretty easy, and that's different than my generation. Um, there's been articles that I've read in the New York Times about how basically you have sex on the first date to see if you're compatible, and if not, you move on. And if you are, then you develop a relationship. <laughs> like that's important to that generation. Um, so my generation was more like you had to, you know woo, talk, get to know each other, and it would eventually happen. Sometimes two dates, three dates, whatever. Sometimes much, much longer. Sometimes not till marriage. My parents' generation. Um, so we're all different, and the way we approach things is different. Um, home ownership, uh, owning a car, vacationing, uh, our attitudes at work. Do we want to work and get ahead, or do we want to work and be appreciated? So let's talk about home ownership. It seems like it's going out of fashion all of a sudden. A quick glance at the most recent batch of data, it contains a lot of insights. Um, the housing market for 2014 revealed that home ownership rates led to a 20-year low of only 64.5%. A 20-year low on home ownership, and it's continued to fall since, hitting 63.7%. It doesn't matter that the unemployment rate is also falling. 
which means more jobs, um, or that the economy is growing, albeit slowly it's gaining ground, it doesn't seem to make a difference that corporate profits are at all-time highs and that the stock market remains near record highs. Americans simply seem to be ending their decades-long love affair with home ownership and turn instead to renting. Wow. Now, is this a cyclical issue? Let's keep talking about it. Let's think what happens if that continues for another decade. What if the home ownership rate tumbles another 5 to 10 percentage points? What if we reach a point where the rate at which Americans buy their homes falls so far that it's almost parallel to the rate at which we rent them? I was reading a little bit about this at the Urban Institute forecast that the estimated 22 million new households will be created between 2010 and 2030. 59% will be renters rather than homeowners, while only 41% will want to buy their home. Now, projecting a country in which there are more renters than borrowers is still an extreme scenario. But we're certainly trending that way. As the millennial generation gets older, the probability is that many will finally end up uh, buying a place to live and give up on renting, even if it's at a later age than that at which their older counterparts, Generation X or the baby boomers, uh, took the plunge. So I own a home, and this is important to me. I own a home, and I don't expect it to appreciate in value. It's really done well. I bought perfectly six years ago. Now, it's my second or third home that I've owned. Um, third, I guess. Uh, long story short, I don't expect it to go up. I'm looking at how much it would cost someone to buy my home and how much money down. And yeah, I know there's wealthy people out there, but admittedly, I'm trying to be realistic. So... Projecting a country where there's more renters than buyers, whoa. Um, the drop that we've experienced so far, the further delays that we're likely to see of people buying a home, the consequences that these will have on everything from household wealth formation to the broader economy are likely to be fairly unprecedented. And you can blame it all on the excess of the mortgage bubble that we had and the financial crisis that followed the discovery of the fraud and excesses in the real estate lending market, you know, back in late 2006. I saw firsthand people getting loans that shouldn't get loans. Um, and people lose homes that they shouldn't have got the loan. So the 2006 bubble in mortgages kind of ushered in a new set of regulations and rules about who qualifies for a home and, or a mortgage and who doesn't. Um, so if we go back to 2005, it was easy for a 20-something to buy a home. And then 2006, and the collapse hits, and it makes it tougher. Um, and we know that millennials are having a lot of student debt loads, combined with still high housing prices. That leaves them with a debt-to-income ratio that's way too high to get a mortgage in this post-crisis world. Now, this will be self-correcting. Americans who lost their home to short sales and foreclosure during the crisis will eventually find that the Black marks will begin rolling off their credit reports beginning basically now and going forward from now. The extent to which bad credit will continue to affect their ability to begin to what else has been happening in their financial lives, how they've handled student loans, credit card debt, or auto loans. Demographics will help as Americans have aged. Historically, we have a preference for buying a house. But I know people 
I know three people, four people under 35, who they don't want to get married. They don't want to settle down and have a kid. They, they want to be, I'm not going to say selfish, but they don't want to, they don't want that. So there's a risk looming now because of that. We've had the jobs growth improve. We've had people feel more secure. There's a risk looming because, you know, the positive cyclical factors are basically kicking in now. Um, another recession, if it does happen, and it will happen, recessions are normal and healthy, um, it'll take a bite out of housing. We'll probably overshoot to the downside, then we'll bounce back and see a slow, steady rise. So the postponement of home ownership puts a giant question mark over the heads of Americans who, given their, their druthers, would prefer to be buying rather than renting. The entire system's geared in favor of us owning rather than renting the homes in which we live. If you rent a house, payments go straight into the landlord's pockets. If you're making monthly mortgage payments, some of that money goes into you, your pocket, and you get to deduct the interest you pay on the mortgage. Um, the cost of any improvements you make on the house can help reduce the impact of capital gains tax when you sell. So enjoy the central air conditioning today and feel the financial benefit down the road. Um, so if you remodel your home, you know, you get a tax. You might ultimately not have to pay as much in taxes as you think. Americans have tended to use their homes as a kind of forced saving vehicle, uh, and it's worked really well. You know, sort of a piggy bank, compensating for the fact that otherwise people are very bad at putting money aside. Making a monthly mortgage payment isn't the same as making a monthly contribution to a 401k. You should do both. You know, if Americans, at, at the end of the next 20 or 25 years, a homeowner who buys wisely hangs onto their home and doesn't try to tap into the equity too often, they can end up with an asset worth quite a lot. But the millennials, they're not buying this game at this point in time, and we continue to see home ownership go down. Now, is it a financial consequence, or is it a decision? I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. I like giving small summaries of things that you should be doing. I want you to retire a millionaire because having a million dollars will ultimately pay you about $40,000 a year till the day you die. No, that may not be a lot when you start countering in inflation. Um, you need to retire with somewhere between 10 and 20 times your salary if you want to basically have enough to last. Uh, and again, this isn't science. This is kind of an art. You're kind of like massaging it a little bit. Or maybe it is science because it's cold. So, treat a million dollars by age 65. If at age 35 you've saved nothing, you need to save $671 a month. But if you've already saved $50,000 to reach one million by 65, you only need to put in $304 per month 
to retire an millionaire. So it's really important to get that $50,000 number by the time you hit 35. Um, otherwise, you may not be able to make it. Asking you to save, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars may not coincide with what you want. And it may actually make you angry. You need to aim to save 15% of your gross income. If one parent leaves work to care for the kids, consider opening a spouse liar. Um, I think in your 30s, you should be 95% stocks. Most experts would disagree with me. I think you have time to recover. I think you should be in index funds and ETFs. Uh, some people would say, oh, no, at age 35, you should have, you know, 20 to 30% of your money in bonds. Not in this interest rate environment. Not in my opinion. And if you have kids, you want to start investing in a 529 college saving plans. And again, it, it means you're going to have to cut back somewhere, and I know that. In your 30s, the number one thing you should be doing still is advancing your career. Same thing within your 20s. Get the skill that increases your earnings. The best thing that you have from age 20 to 60 is your ability to earn income. Um, consider online courses that might boost your career. Consider networking. Um, if you do quit a job, consider quitting the job the right way. You don't need to burn bridges. So you don't. I think in your 30s, you need to start rethinking your budget. In your 20s, you were a little bit sexier. A little bit more of your money went into, uh, went into clothes, into travel. Now you need to start thinking about your long-term needs, wants, and dreams. And they'll probably change from year to year. As you get married, if you have kids, as you start your own business, it's a bit of a balancing act. Once you get into your 30s, you have more money and more goals, so you have to spread it around better. So you really got to start thinking about your budget. You may need to cut spending in some places to reallocate elsewhere. I don't buy a lot of new clothes. I don't buy a lot of new cars. It's not important to me. Um, I'd rather have a five-star resort vacation than a new car. Uh, my car right now has 145,000 miles on it, and I plan to you know, ride it for until it's 200,000 minimum. So first couple things, again, try to boost your career. Try to rethink your budget. And uh, just be honest with yourself. Like, to do a new pair of shoes really make you happy? Not me. You want to adjust your insurance coverage. As you get older, you have more assets. You may rent a bigger space. You may have a bigger home. You may have a nicer TV. You may have a bigger car. Uh, one of the mistakes people make is they don't change their insurance. Uh... And for instance, okay, like you bought a house 20 years ago and your house burns down. And if you haven't updated your insurance, you're probably only going to get a rebuild of maybe 100000 on a $300,000 house. So you need to compare your insurance rates. I personally use USAA. It's one of the gifts that my father gave me in the sense that he was in the military. So I get to work with a really low-cost insurance provider. Geico is great, too. Um I don't use insurance agents. I find them to be very 1900s, um, early 1900s, to be quite honest with you. I think you don't need them, and all they do is get commissions, and they act as a middleman. Um, you know, one of my businesses does have a health insurance broker, um, so I can't say they don't work with any agents, but... 
that's kind of nice because we, you ever have a problem with your insurance, you can call her and she'll do the filing for you kind of thing. But, you know, Geico, I think, is a wonderful car, home, rental insurance company. You want to pay off your non-mortgage debt in your 30s? Um, you should be out of student debt by your, your 30s for sure. Now, student debt isn't a bad thing. It's actually a good thing to me. Um, if it's low cost, now if it's too much and you can't service it, it's a bad thing. All debt that you can't service is a bad thing. Mortgage debt's great. You get a tax deduction. You get a low cost of money. It doesn't adjust for inflation. But if you can't pay it, it's a nightmare. In your 30s, you want to increase your emergency fund. You know, in your 20s, I said two to six months. Um, you probably want three to six months in your 30s. You're starting to get to the point where, yeah, you might have to miss some time. Um, at work, or something might come up that, you know, you're, uh, what's the word, unbreakable in your 20s, and you suddenly are like, oh, I'm very breakable. I ran eight miles yesterday. I think my legs are about to fall off. And that's crazy. Like, that didn't feel that way in my 20s. Uh, in your 30s, you want to save 15% of your income for retirement minimum. When you started saving for retirement, you may only have been able to contribute enough of your paycheck to earn your employer's 401k match. You know, again, I got a young guy who's working with me, 20-year-old kid, and his employer matches 3%, and he's doing 3%, and that's great. But by the time he's 30, he starts to do at least 15%. Uh, 401ks are amazing. You're not taxed federally. Um, it grows tax-deferred. So if you get capital gains, you don't pay them. And later in life, you come out at a lower tax rate. Um, so save at least 15% of your income for retirement, more if you can. Um, and again, I know that's not easy. So I know it's not easy. You know, the highest tax rate in the United States is 39.6%, and that I'm asking you to save 15% on top of that and pay for a mortgage, and I know, I know. So that's why you have to, like, say, clothes don't mean as much to me anymore. <laughs> um, diversify and rebalance your investments. You should have an auto rebalancer on your 401k, and you should have stocks, bonds, and real estate. Um, I think you can cut the bonds, like I've said before, um, at least until you're 40, 45, and maybe longer if, if you, know, you can take that kind of risk. You want to monitor your credit. You can get a free credit report at annualcreditreport.com. It's annualcreditreport.com. Take a look at it. You get it up to, there's three bureaus, so you get one every four months. Um, you'll learn a lot about it. You want to write a will. You're going to die. You can do one for as little as 70 bucks at LegalZoom.com. If nothing else, put it on a piece of paper and put it in a safe. And in your 30s, stop coveting your neighbor's wife and stop coveting your neighbor's Tesla and stop coveting your neighbor's possessions. Live within your means. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more.
me now, Chris Siaccia from TheStreet.com. Tech editor, how are you, Chris? Good, Rob. How you doing? Doing well. Let's talk Apple Music. Uh, rolling on out, and it seems to be critically well-received. Yeah, so far, the majority of people that I talk to are happy with it. They're not entirely 100% happy. You know, there's always a, a few things that people nitpick and complain about. But for the most part, it seems like reception is pretty positive, which which bodes well early for Apple. So what are the features in Apple Music that make it different than Spotify, Pandora, um, Google Music, and the other services that are out there? Basically, what Apple Music is is a combination of everything rolled into one. You have your, assuming you've downloaded music from iTunes that you've bought and purchased, it's there. But you can also stream music. You can watch music videos. They have a social networking feature called Connect, where you can uh, interact with the artists. They can show you, um, you know, things that they're working on or or things that they like. And they also have a, a music station or a radio station, Beats One, which is streaming 24 hours a day. And they have the new uh, DJs. They have some famous DJs, uh, DJ Low, and some others. They had a big uh, interview with Eminem as their, their first interview. So it's really a combination of everything all rolled into one, and it's Apple. So, you know, of course it's going to look good. So that's what really separates it from, you know, Spotify or Pandora or some of the other services. It does seem to be stealing, for, not stealing, but borrowing, cramming every popular method of consuming music into one app, streaming similar to Spotify, radio features compared to other Internet and satellite services like Pandora and Cirrus. Um, it's interesting, uh, to say the least. How about the whole curation thing that they're talking about? Um, how important is that going to be having connect a social network for musicians to interact with fans and the whole curation? Uh, I think curate humans curating it is important because as smart as a computer and as an algorithm is, they're going to make some mistakes every now and then. So I think having the personal touch, and again, Apple does have some algorithms too, it's not just completely humanized, uh, is an advantage for them because p music is inherently personal. So if you feel like you're getting your recommendations or the next song is coming from a computer, eventually you're going to know that. You want to you want to feel and experience music, and I think that's something that only a human being can do. As far as the relationship and interaction with the artist as part of the Connect feature, and that didn't really take off when we tried to do that with Ping a few years ago. So we'll see how well that works. But I suspect that, you know, if you're going to pay $10 a month for it, that's probably not going to be the main reason why you get it. It's interesting that you say that because to me that is the area that adds the most value because to me it takes me back to my childhood days when you'd buy an album and you'd read the album notes it was a connection with the artist. You know, sometimes they'd write, you know, you'd see the the words. Sometimes there'd be other things involved in the um, the sleeve, per se. And I watched, like, Taylor Swift. Like, she really gets social media. She really connects with her fans. Like, I think she could probably overthrow the government if she wanted to with teenage girls. Um, so the connection thing, I, I, I hope that works well because I like the killers. And if they can give me an acoustic version of a song or they can personally invite me to a show in Vegas, something tells me like that's kind of a nice connection. And again, I'm not a big music buff right now. I was when I was younger, but uh, I hope that works well because I, I, I think it has potential. 
See, again, it comes back to the fact that music is inherently personal. You know, what I find right. interesting or what I don't find interesting, someone else might find interesting. So I think, you know, I mean, we just had that conversation where you think that's something that's important and I might not see it. And I think that's what separates Apple Music from some of the other services is they're providing a per personalized service, um, which I think, you know, helps some people and some people don't see it as that important, but they want everything all wrapped into one, into one nice uh pretty little package and I think that's where Apple, you know, kind of stands out from, you know, the other services. They were are able to offer all these different things and some might be more important to others or than than others to some. So I think that's where Apple has an advantage here. Seems that Apple has another advantage in the fact that it's already installed on the phone where you still have to download Spotify. Um, is that going to be a differentiator? Absolutely. I mean, you're giving people a three-month free trial for the installed user base for iOS devices is over, a, you know, they've sold over a billion devices. So I think that's a huge, huge thing to make it so much easier to just say, okay, here's Apple Music. Here's my three-month free trial. I like what I'm listening to. I'll pay $10 a month versus, okay, I have to go to the App Store. I have to find Spotify. I have to curate lists. I have to make my own lists. It's just it makes it easier for Apple to, to gather, um, you know, millions of users versus what Spotify is trying to do. Anything else that we need to know about Apple Music? So far, I mean, I, I really feel like, you know, they've had some some kinks so far with uh, Beats 1 going down for a few hours. But I think, you know, so far the early reaction is is it takes some getting used to because, again, like we said, there's a lot there. But I think people are pretty happy with it, and I think, you know, ultimately we'll see, um, you know, probably tens of millions of people streaming or subscribing to the service and ultimately passing Spotify as the number one streaming service. Yeah, I see that happening. <laughs> um, just, I like Spotify, but I think I'm more loyal to Apple because I like the ecosystem, and I, as I get older, I kind of want things to stay the same. And I, I don't want, okay, now we got to get the no, next Spotify. Uh, but anyway, let's move on. Let's talk Apple Watch. A couple pieces of press this week uh, tied towards analyst notes. The watch lose a little bit of, um, I, I would say, maybe desire. Um, it's a little bit more available than analysts expected, so they're trimming their numbers. For as, as popular as Apple Music has been, at least uh, in the early going, it seems that popularity for the Apple Watch is waning a little bit, at least you know, if you look at some of the third-party results. Uh, a research firm, Slice Intelligence, had put out numbers earlier this week that Fitbit devices were outselling Apple Watch in May. And you've seen a couple of analysts, Wall Street analysts, cut their numbers on the Apple Watch for 2015, you know, saying that popularity is waning. And I think that's, um, you know, if that is indeed true and Apple won't comment on it, I asked them for comment and, and hear back from them. Um, you know, I think that's something that Apple needs to, to worry about because if you can't move past the iPhone and the iPad into another device and make it this hit product, then, you know, that's something that investors need to worry about as well as, you know, consumers too down the line. Do you think it's because Apple Watch doesn't have a killer app? I haven't heard any one person say, I absolutely love the maps, or I absolutely love the notifications or the music streaming. 
even the fitness I have it I've I've heard people say they really like it, but people are buying more fit that Apple watches. See, I, I don't know if it's necessarily because it lacks a quote unquote killer app, as a lot of people have said. You know, when the iPhone came out it there was no app store, so sales were a little slow and then it started to pick up. But you know, there is an app store, you know, for the Apple for Apple Watch. I think part of it is just about making people's lives easier, and I think that's something that Apple hasn't really uh, shown people yet. They haven't demonstrated it just the way they have, you know, with the iPhone or the iPad. You know, if I don't need to take my phone out to pay for something or to check an email or, or respond back to a text message, that just makes it inherently easier for me to interact with technology. And I think that's really the big thing that people are missing right now. I think that's something that Apple has to hammer home to really get watch sales going. And what's interesting is the watch is actually outselling the first iPhone, you know, at the same time. Um, so it's not like it's a flop. And I recently saw one of their bands cost $49. It cost them two bucks to make. So it's a $47 profit mark, $47 profit. Um, it seems like this is still a good deal for Apple, although it's, you know, perception sometimes is reality, and uh, we'll see what happens, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not a flop in, in, in any sense of the word, because even if they only sell 10 million watches this year, you know, assuming a $500 price point, when you take in, you know, from the start, the low end to the high end, you know, that's still $5 billion in revenue. Every other company on earth would kill for that, but except Apple just generating $230 billion in revenue, so it's not really going to move the needle for them. So it's something that you know, they really need to work on um, explaining to the consumer if they really want this to be you know, a bigger growth driver than it already is. Anything else that we need to know about the watch? I think you know, as soon as the new OS comes out for the watch, then you really start to see sales take off because that will allow developers to really build better apps for the watch. And I think, you know, like you kind of talked about killer apps, I think even though I don't think a killer app is necessary for sales, I think some consumers still say, okay, I like that killer app. And, and I think, you know, some of them will, will, will help with that sales, but I don't think, you know, that, uh, that that's necessary for sales. Thanks for joining us. That's Chris Siaccia, tech editor at thestreet.com. Tech editor at thestreet.com. The street's filled with fabulous amounts of stories, some of them from a journalist perspective, some of them from a business journalist perspective. I really think you should give it a shot. It's a good site with lots of content that should be able to stimulate some thoughts of investing in investing climates and investing ecosystems as well. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more.
I'm Rob Black, talking all things money, investing, and more. I'd say this is my song of 2015. I don't know if it hits you the way it hits me, but I'm in. Money. Real simple. You have retirement is the basic concept that you have to say. That's a goal. Owning a home, goal. Um, What's another goal? Second house, vacation home, gorgeous wife, gorgeous life, kids, college. You have to come up with goals, but retirement should be your first. You have to learn that in life you have to pay taxes. You're eventually going to die and you have to pay taxes. So you're in a buck. It's really not a buck. Go look at your paycheck and figure out what you're actually coming down to or look at your taxes at the end of the year and see how much you paid in ta- uh, taxes. So uh, 10% state income. Some states don't have income tax and maybe they don't have as high paying jobs or maybe they don't have as many social programs or maybe if fifths and butts were candy and nuts, so what a party you would have. So you got to grasp that you have to save money for retirement, but taxes are going to automatically come out. So that makes it tougher. Phil Mickelson is pretty famous for not having an internal editor. A couple of years ago, he talked about how he might have to leave the state of California because his taxes, if he earned a million dollars playing golf, he was only pulling in about 300000 because of the state income tax, because of the federal taxes, because of Social Security taxes. Um, as an independent contractor, he has to pay, you know, both sides of that. Um, and he was frustrated. I think we all should be. So to mitigate some of the negatives out there, you invest. Investing gives you the best return available time, historically. Historically, stocks beat real estate. Historically, stocks beat bonds. Historically, bonds beat real estate. There's be periods of time where that doesn't happen, and the Shylocks who push mortgages or real estate agents who don't know any better are like, real estate's the best investment, except for when it's not. Ask the people in 2006, uh, 2005, 2004, anywhere other than a major city, what they think about their real estate investment or a major metro area. And most of them are still upside down. A lot of them went bankrupt. I told you that I had a real good friend that her dad um, took money out of the house, bought another house. Ooh, he's a real estate mogul. Put renters in it. Took money out of the house, bought another house, put renters in it. Did it three times. Had three rental properties. Had he sold in 2006, he probably would have netted a pretty pity. Because there was some momentum in the real estate market tied towards liar loans, tied towards false conditions. Um, But instead, the economy kind of buckles. Oh, and he wasn't putting enough money in the houses that they could cash flow. He was putting in just enough so that if the renters paid, he could pay the mortgage. So some of the renters couldn't pay, and he loses all four homes, including his own home. So now as a 50-plus-year-old man, he's renting and has no equity. Because he thought real estate was a great investment. If you don't learn something from that story, you're a fool. So investing beats real estate. If you bought 40 years ago, 
and you put $10,000 down on a home and $10,000 into a, the stock market. And every mortgage payment that you put into the house, you put that same mortgage payment into the stock market. You'd have over four times as much from the stock market than you would from the home. In New York City, in Chicago, in San Francisco, in LA, every major city underperforms. I have an article on that if you need to see it. Um, credit and debt, very important to learn. You don't want too much debt. Good debt is mortgage debt because you're paying yourself to rent. Um, good debt, student debt, usually, as long as both those numbers don't get too high and you can't service that debt. If you've got student debt, you probably learned something in college, whether it's how to write a good email, how to turn in a paper. Maybe you learned physics or maybe you learned how to program. Student debt's typically pretty good debt unless, and I say this and I always get an email on this one, unless your student debt's tied towards like a poetry or theater major. Um, just saying. Uh, you have to save. So that's part of investing. You have to save money for big tickets in your life. And one of the big tickets in your life will be retirement. And that's why you have to save the most for that one. Spending, I have no shame. Um, I go through regularly and look at my spending and, you know, I've got a garage, so I can buy 100 rolls of toilet paper at once. I can buy 100 rolls of paper towels at once. And I look at the, the, the unit cost, and I look at, is Amazon better than Costco? Is Costco better than Safeway? Or is there a better option out there? I'm always looking to save a little bit of money here and a little bit of money there. I assume I will wipe my butt with 100 rolls of toilet paper. I don't assume that I will die with 99 rolls of toilet paper left. So why not get my cost down? Cars, I buy two-year-old cars. I don't buy new. Um, when I turn 50, I plan, to buy my, I plan to buy a new car. And that's just because I have enough money to retire. And that's the only reason. Um, insure what you can't afford to lose. You don't need whole life insurance. You don't need variable life insurance. You only need term life insurance. It's the cheapest, and it allows you to invest the rest. That's what every financial professional does. The people who rec recommend whole life and variable life insurance... They're the people making the commissions. They're the insurance agents. They're trying to get their Christmas presents paid for by your bad decision. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.